0: It's really easy to be busy and think that you're being effective, and wear it as a badge of pride. When really busy is is not a badge of pride. It's really it's it doesn't prove that you're good at your job because you have sent in an email at 3 a.m. or you respond to your clients right away. It it can almost make you ineffective. This is Women Killing It. Each week, women who are killing it in their careers share their stories and advice for making it in today's working world. Your host is Sally Hubbard.
1: Today, I'm excited to be here with Shannon Lorraine, who is the founder of Found Future, which is a branding and PR company for lifestyle and fashion brands. Shannon, you're killing it. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. Thanks for coming to talk to me today. First, I'd like to hear about what does Found Future do?
0: So what Found Future does is we fill a niche in the PR and branding industry that I felt like didn't exist before. So I came from a background as a buyer for Nordstrom and other smaller companies, um, and I dealt with salespeople and PR people, and I felt like it was a really um, cold, sort of disconnected process. So what we did is we started a company that was more hands-on and tailored working with the brands in really close, intimate way. We call it from like soup to nuts. So we work with everything from a designer's sketch, like technical sketches, to I was just at a designer's factory the other day checking out the samples that we had just looked at. And I'm not a designer, but I do have like input in their designs as much as I can that that makes any sense because I'm not a designer, to then speaking to the buyers and the magazines directly so we're so well versed in the process of the designer that when we go to a PR outlet or a store for example we are part of the brand wow I didn't
1: realize I didn't realize that there was such a thing as a branding company that's actually involved at that early yeah. stages
0: I think it's so effective to know what well, we choose we choose let me back up by saying we Choose clients that we know we could be completely invested in. So, one of my brands that I'm working with right now, like I'm obsessed with their clothes and their style, and that they're made in the US and they represent all the things that are important to us. So, it makes it easy to dig in. And then that makes it easier when you're talking to press or you're talking to, let's say, like a Nordstrom, to say, This is why we think you should carry this brand because we believe in it so wholeheartedly. And we've put you know all of this energy and time into growing this brand
1: and how long ago did you start found future
0: um a little over 10 years ago wow congratulations keeping it going for 10 years yeah that might be how we're killing it what what made you start the company um i started the company almost as a fluke i uh came, like I said, from a buying background and then moved from Seattle to New York and worked for a 27 line showroom. So there were 27 different designers we were representing. and. We never met them, saw them. The clothes just came in a box. They went back down. And I um, worked with someone, a friend at the time, who was part of a really large show. And we both connected in this idea that it was such an impersonal process. And there was such a disconnect between the designer and the representative that we decided to create my old company, which was called The 400. Um, it was super hard. <laughs> it was, um, we learned a lot. We had a loft instead so Soho. We had a lot of fun. Um, and then after a couple years, she went more into styling in LA and I kept the company. Wow.
1: Yeah. That was a bold <laughs> move to go from, you know, working for a showroom to starting your entire own company. Yeah. What gave you the courage to, to, to take that step?
0: Um, I don't know, maybe foolishness or ignorance, I think, did because I didn't know how hard it was. I mean, we were so ambitious and I remember sitting in Bryant Park together, which seems so ironic now, like working on our business plan and being like, we're geniuses. And then you really learn the hard way that you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> so I think I would say like just blind passion got me in it. and. The clients that I work with keep me doing it.
1: So, how did you figure it out? If you had no idea what you were doing, how did you
0: figure it out? A lot of it was just research, like looking back at the companies I had worked for. My buying experience helped a ton because I knew what buyers liked and didn't like. My old partner at the time knew more about PR than I did. So, it was, we learned. We learned in a rough and tumble way. We really put ourselves out there. We took any gig that anyone would offer us. So we were not snobby about what work we would do. So we ended up working for different trade shows. We ended up housing the first sustainable fabric library in the US um, just because someone said, do you guys want to try this?" So we tried it. We tried everything. Um, We happened to be, at the time, the first sustainable design agency in the US. Wow! And then one launched in London that we worked with soon after. Um, But we just learned the hard way. You know,
1: I always say that I really recommend women starting their own business when they're younger before they have children and or a mortgage, overhead, you know, the high Mm -hmm. cost of living that comes with a family and later stages of life so you kind of did start it pretty young
0: right? Yeah I mean I was young and soon after I was pregnant as we were starting it and so I mean looking back maybe it was a lot to take on when i was pregnant i even had josephine as a baby my daughter in meetings sometimes because we couldn't afford to have a babysitter and she would be in a playpen with my assistant in the back of our loft while we would be in the front having a meeting and no one knew there was a baby in the back so it was a lot of like you know as much as you can do with what you have but that's awesome that you're able to make it work in that way i mean yeah That was one thing that I'm so grateful for that I could stick her in the ergo and take her to work and make it work at the office with a baby. And I don't think it's for everyone, but it worked for at least a year. And it would be hard to do that if you're working for someone else. Exactly. I couldn't have. And that was the part that I never... As hard as it is owning your own business, the trade-off of being able to spend time with my daughter is huge. Yeah, I know.
1: um, I saw that you were very active
0: in your school PTA
1: (gasps) and on the the board of the preschool. How were you able to get all those
0: things done in addition to running your own company and being a mother? I, I think it's like... Uh, like a personality tick almost, like I like being busy. And so being, I've just become the vice president of fundraising, a co-vice president, I have a great partner. And it's almost the more busy I am, the more projects I have, the more successful I am in my own business. And I've learned so much working with their PTA that it's, they kind of, you know, on top of each other. That's really
1: interesting because I had someone last week on the show who is starting this, has started this accelerator program called Reboot, Diane Flynn. Oh, cool. For women re-entering the workforce. And one thing she said is that women don't um, acknowledge or appreciate that the skills that they develop doing things like mm-hmm. volunteering at the PTA
0: yes. are transferable to paid work. Absolutely, hugely transferable skills. I mean, the budgeting, the finances, the um, the trajectory of you know budgeting again that we have to do, and where to come up with that money, grant letters, all of those things are so important for anyone's resume. So. I would not discount that work at all. So it's really interesting to
1: hear you say that you yeah. find that it actually helps you with your business, for the skills that you definitely get from doing it. and meeting people, and
0: it's a way another way of networking. In these ten
1: years, what are some of your proudest moments, or what are the things that you make you feel uh, most
0: satisfied? I mean, I think my proudest moments have been seeing clients survive in the mainstream who are sustainable designers. So taking these designers who are producing in new york city with sustainable textiles and taking that and getting it into a store i feel like i keep talking about nordstrom but putting it into a store like nordstrom where we're making sustainable clothing just like anything else and we're making the price points more approachable we're um helping grow a lot of women-run businesses too mostly most of the people i work with are women-run businesses So i'm just proud to see them succeed
1: Quick question guys, have you joined my email community? I share all kinds of tips from the amazing women that I interview on how to kill it in your career. My emails are all about us working together to maximize our career results and our happiness. So we're filling the mentoring gap for women and we are lifting each other up. When you sign up today, I'll send you some awesome emails including my seven step action plan to killing it. To sign up, just text all one word killing it to three, eight, four, seven, zero. That's three, eight, four, seven, zero. And the word to text with no spaces is killing it. Now back to the show. That's amazing because I feel like there's this impression that if it's gonna be sustainable, it's going to be very, very expensive. Yeah. How do
0: you get over that? Um, It's taken a number of years. Back when we started, that was the, the way because you couldn't produce in the US. But over time, we've found factories here in Brooklyn where you can produce at a reasonable rate and textiles are getting less expensive. There's more of a demand um, for it by the consumer, so we're able to keep taking the prices down. Um, Another key, which is sort of another topic, but a lot of clients are going for online models rather than brick and mortar. Um, so they're selling their products only on their store rather than having the overhead of selling to a department store or a boutique, which is very much like the Warby Parker model.
1: Right. Oh, interesting. And I know uh, from a consumer's perspective, personally, what I'm trying to do is buy less of the cheap, fast fashion. And right. Invest in a few nice pieces. So you can yeah. maybe, even if it does cost a little bit more, have less things. But nicer things. Yeah, but nicer things. things.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> so what are some lessons that you've learned throughout this, <sighs> your your career? Some things that you wish you would have known sooner? I wish I
0: knew how to do uh, projections. That's huge. Just learning. I think one thing that we don't learn, and I don't want to say as women, but I feel like for myself I focused on the creative side and I didn't learn the business side. So the biggest thing I've learned is the business side is the most important thing to any business. So projections, um, your financial aspects of it, um, really knowing where you are at any given day. My accountant could ask me what's coming in for the rest of the year, and I would know. I can't say enough how valuable that is to understand the business of business and the, the tools that that comes into in negotiation, understanding retail math. I think it's just so important to not just focus on the creative that's
1: interesting that you have to have, you have
0: to get down and dirty with the less glamorous sides of it. But I love it. I always say I'm like a data nerd. <laughs> I love the numbers, like, cause it's so tactile. You know, creative is creative, but it's so tactile to look at the numbers and say, okay, well, year to date, this client is making twenty five percent more than they were able to bring in last year, or we see the deficit and we know this client's gonna run out of money. What do we do? And so, keeping ahead of all of that really keeps you on top of the business. I just really like it too. I like Excel.
1: Well, you're lucky that you're good at both creative and the math side.
0: Yeah, it's important. You have to. Find find that bridge between creative and design or if or you do creative don't, and uh, economics or if
1: you're not if you don't have the brain for the math side of things to hire someone who does yes, right absolutely <laughs> what do you feel that your gender has had an effect on your career or has fashion been a more um, female-friendly path? And I others? think that's
0: it. Was it's such a good question? I think it's gender is definitely tricky in the fashion industry, not in a typical way of men versus women, but as women versus women. I think there's a certain look you're expected to have in the fashion industry, and I'm not one who cares about, you know, wearing the most up-to-date fashion or presenting that ideal on myself. I don't think I need to do that to show my business um, experience. So I think that's been a harder part for me than anything is that I don't feel I need to um, dress the part, if you will. I always use Bobby Brown as my example as a makeup artist who doesn't wear makeup. Yeah. Um, that's who I think of and I think that's been the biggest struggle in the industry, is the expectation of what you should look like if you work in the fashion industry.
1: You know, a few weeks ago, I had Julie Morgan on the show, and she is a makeup artist. And Bobby Brown gave her her first big break.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. got her oh, a job. Do- cool. got- I love Bobby. Yeah,
1: Brown. she w- she met Bobby Brown um, early in her career, and uh, Bobby, Bobby Brown. Brown was a big mentor for her. So. Yeah, I think this whole emphasis on the superficial is a huge problem. I imagine mm-hmm. it's much worse in fashion, but I feel like it's something that I think we as women need to address in general. Yes. I just think the world has gotten way too obsessed with appearances, and I think a lot of it is imposed more by women than by men, actually.
0: I I agree, and I think that you know raising daughters, it's hard in my industry to explain to my own daughter. Why, you know, samples are the size they are and why models look the way they look. And she'll come to photo shoot sometimes. And I want to be able to present. I have a photo shoot coming up, and my client and I very seriously discussed we didn't want the model to look too thin and look like a child. We want her to look like a woman. Right. And I think that that's a great way that we're moving in the fashion industry. But I myself have, had, have on Instagram lately, which is a huge part of my business, have just had to unfollow images that I just make me uncomfortable or I'm seeing models that are so thin that my daughter said that looks like a sick dog and it was a model and I was I really found myself just having to say I don't want to look at this anymore I don't want to support it and I don't want to look at it we need to show healthy yeah. images even in the fashion industry I mean I think it's a, it's going to be the slowest one to jump on board but it's coming.
1: It's funny because I thought that was changing a little bit. Like I always said, you know, back when I was young and single, it was everybody was looking up to Kate Moss and Brad right. Paltrow and they were like these twigs. And now everybody likes Kim Kardashian, which is more my body type. And I'm like, wait, now I'm old and married. <laughs> Too late for me. I'm um, like, why didn't anybody appreciate this when I was young and single?
0: Right. Um, but I think but, it's starting to change. Like if you look at Gigi Hadid, who is deemed more curvy, but there's also a lot of backlash against her saying that, that she's too curvy or that she's too thin and she's not representing curvy i mean the fashion industry is always going to be the latest the last one to come on board i think tim gunn did a really interesting piece about plus size and women's fashion that i would recommend anyone reading um, and talking about plus size doesn't have to be like a larger version of what couture is it can be its own beautiful thing it was really interesting i'm so surprised that it's taken this long
1: for it to come around because we're still think, not it there and it's completely doesn't reflect what America looks like in terms right. of average size of the average American right. woman right. you know that's interesting you said before that you're active in your school that your daughter's schools. you have your own business you have a full life and that being busy actually makes you do better right but one thing that i always talk about this on this show is kind of like strategies To make it all work right you know because we're all drowning and most of us maybe you're thriving in this situation (laughs) most of us feel like we're drowning and there's not enough hours in the day and you know always trying to find different ways to manage and outsource and are there any strategies that you have found that you're like oh when i did this way it really made life easier or i've just you know things to do to make
0: to control the chaos or to make I, keep yourself at peace. I think that's something I'm really working on. Like I struggle with that. I have a bad tendency. I won't use the name of the company, but there's companies that ser- There's certain companies that promote that email at 3 a.m. idea. And I've been trying to break myself of those habits. Um, I'm not good at it, but I've tried to put my phone down between like six and nine o'clock. It's really hard, it's disturbingly hard, like it shouldn't be that hard to put my phone down. But I feel when I do that, I can come to things more refreshed. I'm not gonna, you know, if I'm not answering emails as soon as they come in and take the time to think about it and respond rather than just quickly answering to get to the next thing, I think those are things I need to work on, but those are strategies that I have found to be effective when I can put them to use, but it's, it's a struggle. You
1: know, I just uh, had this bout of the stomach flu a little while ago. Oh. <laughs> and I was as miserable as I was, I wasn't able to be on email or right. digital for a couple of days. <laughs> and I was like, it felt, even though I was yeah so ill, I felt like, wow, it feels good to not be looking at emails. And the know? world
0: didn't crash in.
1: You know, and just not have yeah. that constant barrage, right? Yeah. Like this, this kind of... Uh, needing to, we all, it's like a new skill that we all need to develop because we didn't yeah. used to need to have this skill, right? Absolutely. Now we really do to manage the digital influence of our lives. Because it's
0: really easy to be busy and think that you're being effective and where it is a badge of pride when really busy is, is not a badge of pride. It's really, it's... It doesn't prove that you're good at your job because you sent in an email at 3 a.m. or you respond to your clients right away. It, it can almost make you ineffective. Busy is almost like a, a something I struggle with, for sure. Yeah, the busy trap, right? Yeah. Just feeling like, I'm too busy, I'm
1: busy all the time. I, I'm struggling with that a lot and trying to get on top of it because I find that it creates this constant stress that's just yes. kind of always pervasive, like... I'm so busy. I don't have enough time to do everything I need to do. And it creates this kind of low, almost anxiety that yes. is always there, which is just not healthy. And anyway.
0: you can't be your most... like. I find that my most creative meetings with clients are when we just sit on the ground. I don't know. For some reason sitting on the ground is very grounding, no pun intended for me. And when I can sit on the ground with my clients and we just sit and talk... That's where we come up with the breakthrough ideas. It's not staying up till four o'clock in the morning and, you know, looking at magazines or things. It's really just sitting down and talking and saying, what is this collection missing? Or, you know, what do we need? And that's usually where it comes. It doesn't come from the hectic.
1: That's something that I've talked to other guests about on this show. I keep coming back to this episode with um, Patty Clark, and she talked about Women um, connecting with their inner self and getting yes. into the flow, and that these moments of deep connection and flow are when your best uh, in ideas and intuitions come to you. Right. And I've been trying to schedule that into my life a lot more, just like those down, quiet moments, short meditations throughout the day, you know, because I do find my best ideas come to me usually right before I'm going to sleep.
0: Right, right,
1: that makes sense. You know, like right when you're, right when you kind of shut it all down and then you're like, oh, you know, then you can really, your brain really kind of can come up with something creative and
0: outside of the box. I have such a hard time pausing. It's something I'm working on. I've had so many people tell me to try that app called, um, I can't think of the name of it, but it's like one of those meditation apps. Oh, Headspace. Headspace, yes. I'm a member that doesn't use it enough. Me too. And I find like it's very hard for me to slow down all the stuff to get to the root of what it is. So that's that part. I still really struggle with doing it alone with a client. I can do it. I can do it bounce off with someone else's energy, but calming my own crazy mind. That's very hard. Shannon, do you
1: have any mentors who you've looked up to throughout your career? I do. I have
0: one mentor specifically that I often go to when I feel like I'm stuck or unsure how to move. Um, She's been very successful um, on the retail side, and she keeps managing to reinvent herself and reinvent her career. And I always thought she just um, touched gold and everything was always perfect. But um, her name is Julie Merriman Ray, and she has a company called Olivine, which started out as a store and then evolved into um, skincare products that have been like selling out like crazy and then evolved into online courses about starting your own business and women in business. Um, And I think one important thing she's taught me is when to walk away. And that's always a really hard thing to do or how to take what you're doing and evolve it into something different and bigger and she just doesn't see limitations and i love like having you know a call with her every few months to just tell me like what to do <laughs> so she's always been my inspiration and mentor so she
1: has online courses for women in she business? has online
0: courses for women in business she has a thriving company um that is constantly in every magazine she has a product um a couple different products from olivine I can't remember the names of them off the top of my head, but one is like a hair kind of matte hairspray, and one is a, I think it's called Love and Roses, and it's like a body spray, and every magazine keeps running it as their favorite thing. Anthropologie did a special collab with it to the point where she was able to go, "Uh, you know, I don't necessarily want to do this anymore, and I'm going to focus more on perfumes. She used to have a makeup line, was in Sephora, Nordstrom, and then she said, it's time to walk away. Closed it down, went on to the next thing that was hugely successful. So she just has a really good mind for business and knows when the timing is right.
1: Where can people access the online courses? Is it available? Um, It's on
0: her website. It's olivine.com. Okay, cool. Yeah, and her name is Julie Mary Ray, and she's brilliant. Awesome.
1: One thing that's been a common thread on this show is a lot of the women that I've talked to, they followed one track that they kind of felt like they were supposed to be on that mm-hmm. their parents wanted them to do or maybe they went to school for this and therefore they had to do it and then it wasn't until later in their career when they realized that they weren't really fulfilling what they wanted and what they enjoyed and then they make this you know bold leap and 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 then they really get very successful cuz they're doing what you know really right. speaks to them and what they're really good at and passionate about but you sound like you were on you had your finger on the pulse of what you really enjoyed from the beginning but of your career. It wasn't what
0: I intended to do. That was the funny thing. Like I was studied English and theater, so I thought I would be an English professor, and then I sort of fell into retail, you know, at a young age. In college, I worked for anthropology before they were anthropology. And so I had the good opportunity of working under the buyers and the founder of anthropology um, because it was brand new and they needed people, you know, to really learn the company inside and out. And so I sort of fell into this path that I never intended and then figured out that I loved it. So I don't know that I meant to be here, but I'm glad I am here that makes any sense does it feel like you're meant to be here I think so I mean I do I think that the only thing I think that is is tricky is I always have those moments where I say am I meant to own my own business or should I go back and work for somebody else that's the question that I go back and forth with And what is it that appeals to you about going back and working for someone else? In my mind, in my fantasy life, I don't know, according to friends that I talked to, including a mutual friend of ours that we were talking about earlier, it's not as great as it seems. But in my mind, you go to work, someone tells you what to do. In my mind, they also have like lots of organic coffee and snacks, which is really appealing to me. (laughs) I was recruited by a company that I was like, I would work here just for the snacks. But in my fantasy life, there's some Else putting out those big fires, the taxes, the HR, the um, you're not the only person that everyone's looking to for the answer. And there's something very appealing about letting go of all of that weight. But I know that there's giving up a lot of freedom. So I struggle with that now and again. I've had a couple of recruiters come to me, and I really struggle with what I even fit, what I know what to do anymore. It's been so long.
1: Well, it's funny because I think maybe you needed a little bit more time under someone else's thumb right. to appreciate your freedom that you yeah,
0: have. Exactly. I wasn't under anyone's thumb too long because I was at, you know, it was maybe only until I was about 27. Before I started my own company, so... So you've had the experience. I'm 28 or something, yeah.
1: In my job as a journalist, there I have a colleague who was a government attorney at the Department of oh, Justice wow. his whole life. And he always would say things about, oh, it would be great to work at a firm... Right. for some reason, or maybe these people don't wanna leave their nice firm salary or something, a big firm. And I'm always say, him, say to him, that's because you never worked at a big firm, exactly. you know? like I worked yeah. at a big firm, and exactly. believe me, people want to flee the big firm to go, yeah. you know? So it's kinda of funny, it kind reminds me of that. That's the feedback I
0: often get is, I've talked to my sister who was a Microsoft lifer, and as well as my husband was Microsoft for a long time, and they're both like, you don't want that. <laughs> They're like, it sounds great. Like there's there's consistency in it. But all that great time you have of, as we talked about, sitting on the floor with a client and being like, let's make rust bodysuits, okay. And then doing it and then watching it come to life and looking at the sample and and seeing it in a magazine, like all of that creative control disappears. Not I'm sure not all of it, but a lot of it would go away. So The security is tempting, but then I kind of tend to say, oh, but look at how much fun I get to have.
1: Yeah. It's the hard being your own boss. I mean a lot of people oh, don't ever so hard. <laughs> a lot of people don't ever have the um, courage to do it because of the responsibility and they'd rather just
0: like to have that guaranteed paycheck and although no, nothing's guaranteed anymore. No, that's the that's the other part of it is I try to say, Well, if I got a job, if I left and I I left found future and I took a job, um, you know, there's no guarantee that it would last any longer. But there is that temptation to just be free of um, that extra level of responsibility. So what's what's going forward? What's in the future
1: for, uh, in the short term? What, what what are your plans for found future? I mean,
0: I think, I was just talking to one of my clients today on the way, right before I came here, and it's just working more with um, thinking outside the box. So helping these smaller designers, by smaller, you know, s- designers that are carried in, you know, urban outfitters, these types of stores, anthropology, what have you. But helping them go to the next level, and we have to figure out, what does that mean? Retail's changing. People are not going to trade shows the way they used to. Buyers, you can't access buyers or editors in the same way. So we constantly have to think outside the box and think, what's the best way to get in front of something? How do we stop chasing cool, which is a great book that I read, that I love. So it's really getting to the heart of what makes that client unique and why they're successful and focusing on that. So we're always looking for collaboration ideas with lifestyle companies, things that you wouldn't necessarily think of in a way to get them out into the front, just to keep them successful and in business. And I think that social media is huge in the future of of fashion and lifestyle. As much as I poo-pooed that myself for a long time, um, I've embraced social media as a really powerful tool in getting your, your work out there. Yeah. Certainly Instagram is huge. Instagram is huge. A really, really important part of work. Yeah. But yeah, I think just trying to think outside the box and figure out what's next. I look to companies like Bonobos, I think is brilliant in looking forward. I think Warby Parker has done a really great job and thinking, what can we do, um, to be more, Smart in our retail. As everything is changing so drastically, Mm -hmm. certainly with uh, brick and mortar
1: and uh, Amazon now getting into fashion. Right. Amazon fashion. Watch out. Um, You know, I'm an antitrust (laughs) lawyer, so that's that's, that's part of my... my, and I was a lawyer and journalist. And so right. I think right. About that. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for being here thank today. You. This has been fascinating. I'm, I think your company sounds so interesting. I'm You'll we'll have to come hang out one day at our
0: crazy little oh, office. Oh my in Red goodness!
1: Hook. When I've seen, I, so, some of the stuff that I've seen that you're promoting is just beautiful. As a lover of fashion myself, it's, awesome. I'm I'll bring envious. you some samples. <laughs> I'm envious of that. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to our podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, and most importantly, tell a friend about us. Thanks for joining us.